What the Beep Do You Know About Learning English is a podcast for intermediate to advanced learners of English. Some teachers might find it interesting too. The podcast aims to provide different perspectives on learning English and at the same time develop our listeners' English skills. In this episode, we talk with Damien Herlihy. Damien has a master's in TESOL, 15 years of teaching experience. He runs his own successful language school in Thailand, has won awards for action research, and is now the founder of an exciting online venture called English Riot. In this segment, we find out about our guest background looking through the lenses of language learning and teaching. So, Damien, what do you know about learning English? Well, funnily enough, I probably don't know very much at all. So that that's why I decided to name this podcast uh, What Do You Know About Learning English? Because I think I've asked this question, I suppose, many times to myself, you know, in the morning mm. looking in the mirror. But, I mean, I've, I've had a long history with languages. I suppose I, I started out, I think, um, quite naively wanting to be a diplomat at school. Um, oh, really? I remember going to like, okay. yeah, going to a career counsellor and they were sort of going through things that I wanted to do. And I think I sort of like travel or something like that. So <clears throat> for some reason we landed on, on diplomat, but I didn't, I didn't even cross my mind that to be a diplomat you probably needed to know another language. As I could speak English, but I couldn't even speak that very well. So... I was sort of at a big disadvantage. So that, that sort of started this trigger that, yeah, maybe I need to start learning learning some other languages. Did you start learning another language? Yeah. Yes, I did. I eventually, when I left school, it took a while, um, but in my mind I thought I still wanted to, you know, be a diplomat or have some sort of overseas position. So I started to, to learn, learn Spanish and um, like you, yeah, you learn Spanish. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm uh, trying to <laughs> as much as I can. So, okay, so so tell me what happened with that because I've never heard you speak any Spanish. No, no. Uh, uh, I try to give it a secret um, <laughs> about, <laughs> about learning, learning Spanish. And then that comes back to the question like what, you know, what the beat do you know about learning a language? Because I feel like if I haven't been successful in actually learning another language myself, then how can I actually be teaching other people to you know, to learn a second language. So with Spanish, I, I once again I had like a like a one hour a week lesson, and they had I think at the time they were using like audio lingual methods. So it, you had lots of um, just this really boring like picture book of like a dog and a boy, and it would play like what what that was, and you had to point at it and say it. So you know, the only thing I remember what the word for dog was was like was it perro. I think yeah, I know, uh, yeah, the rolling R. So I remember that. Right. So probably after a few thousand dollars, I remember the word the dog in Spanish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what I learned is, yeah, you actually have to do something. Like you can't just go one hour. To what a revelation! Your, <laughs> to your to your you know class with your teacher, and then spend a few boring hours with this. Um, tape recorder and pointing at pictures. So I found out that, yeah, quite quickly you actually have to do some work to learn a language. 
So how did you then, so you obviously didn't become a, a diplomat. Um, I think you're a very diplomatic person, but um, oh, how did you then, <laughs> you're welcome. How did you then make that leap into language teaching? Tell me a bit about that. Well, I was traveling. I went through Asia. I was riding scooters with someone and we met this other sort of traveling people and they told me about, oh, yeah, you should do a CELTA because you can, you know, teach in another country. So that sort of planted this seed, you know, in my mind that, oh, okay, when I get to, because I was traveling to England via Asia, I thought when I get there I might, you know, do a CELTA. And right. I did my CELTA. After that I went and taught in Thailand and I was a terrible, terrible, terrible teacher. <laughs> More of a traveller teacher, I suppose. What do you think made you a terrible teacher? Just lack of experience or was there something else? Uh, yeah, I think definitely like confidence issues, I suppose. You know, being in front of people and that pressure to perform and things like that. Also, I mean, my first lesson was with, with very young kids and the CELTA, when I, when I studied that, I didn't, I don't really do any modules on teaching young children. So I remember going to the classroom the first time and had all these young Thai children who were about like five years old and the very first thing they did, they all went under the table and, and wouldn't come out. So that, oh, no. that was the beginning oh. of my teaching career. So I had to go out <laughs> to reception and, and get someone in to, to um, coax or pull the children back out from under the table. So, yeah, the first few years, yeah, I felt it was just wasn't that good in front of the classroom. But at one point I did decide, I thought, okay, I'm going to get better. So um, it's where I started to, started to move and think, okay, I want to make this into a career. And that's where when I returned to Australia and I started to do my uh, master's in, in teaching English. So then I felt like I started to build a bit more, you know, knowledge or background in the field of teaching and started to make that tr yeah, transition to a proper teacher. And then, yeah, after that I, I went to Swinburne and that's where um, we crossed paths for the first time. Yes, that's right. That's right. I believe you were involved in uh, the hiring um, uh, process as well. <laughs> yes, it was the worst decision of my life. No, no, no. It was, it was very good. I didn't regret it at all. Yeah. And Swinburne was was good in the sense I felt I, I did a lot of professional development there and also what I thought was like a turning point, I suppose, in my teaching career was where I did um, some action research where, we, where you do sort of research based in the classroom. And for me that was really beneficial because I started to reflect on my teaching and then also started to improve as a teacher because I sort of took you know, took control of my own professional development. And I think that's really key because it's so easy in this job to just sort of slip into a coma for a little while and just go through the motions. So it's always great when, you know, teachers who've been at it for five, even 10 years are still looking to try something new or try to be better. Um, I certainly know how important that is, is for me to keep, to keep interested and to keep striving. For something yeah yeah better. for sure you can definitely go on you know cruise control and not um just turn up and do the same stuff all the time but as i said with the with this research it really got me thinking it also once again showed actually how much i didn't know still in teaching language particularly like i suppose it's an area of pronunciation because we did a lot of work with recording students voices and then giving feedback on their pronunciation so sort of opened up this whole 
you know, another another world of teaching which I hadn't really looked at. And, and they say that with any subject, the more you dig deeper, the more you, you actually find out you, you don't really know know that much. <laughs> you keep going and keep going and there's still more and more things to find out and get better at. Absolutely. And then I suppose after that, where my current sort of where I am now, I moved to Thailand and then opened up a school with my, my wife called Tech. So with that, once again, that's even because it's my own business, I, I, I suppose I even put more and more energy, I suppose, into finding out about teaching and getting better, better as a teacher. And I believe you're back working with children again, so you've gone full circle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the one thing uh, I wasn't that keen on coming back to after those, that early, <laughs> that first year and that very uh, first experience of all the children going over the table. I thought, no, I'll never teach children again. But, hey, who's... <laughs> Never say never because as as things have turned out, I'm back in Thailand uh, teaching children again, yeah. And which then sort of leads us now, I suppose, to English Riot, which is my, my current project. When I first came here, yes. I had a, had a website called Tech Squared um, and that was looking at using technology in the classroom and now my, my idea sort of evolved into English Riot, which is trying to help students you know, improve their improve their English because I feel like now as we with what the beat you know about learning English, I feel like I do have a decent amount of knowledge that I want to share with students, and I want to share it sort of in my own own way and own style, and hopefully make it you know engaging for students. and And th- this podcast is is a part of that whole whole project. Well, it, it's very exciting. Um, obviously, I know a little bit about your project um, yeah. and have had a look at some of the resources. So I really look forward to seeing, you know, people really benefiting from such a unique way to learn and continue on with their English. So in this next segment, which is called Study Tip of the Iceberg, we explore our guest's number one English study tip. So, Damien, what is your number one English study tip? For me, I suppose after all these years, I think it's just about building a habit because I think you can have like the shittiest system in the world, but if you follow that system religiously, you'll still make progress in in your studies. So even though I'm not condoning or I'm not saying have a shitty system, but all I'm saying is (laughs) if you have a habit, even if you do have a crap system, um, you can, you know, improve your English skills, I suppose. Um, and one of my favourite comedians, um, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, yes. he had a quote, uh, it was a quote for him when I think another comedian asked him, you know, how do you get so successful? Um, and he said just, you know, just get out a calendar and every day you come and, you know, write material and you put a cross and then eventually you'll have a chain, you know, of days of you writing material and from that you'll start to produce good work. So so for me, yeah, and it's just about that that habit building in learning learning anything really, I suppose, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And, yeah, and I think... <laughs> I think um, you can take a, a leaf out of the book of sports stars, I suppose. Um, you know, uh, currently we've got the World Cup at, on at the moment. And, yeah. I mean, if you think about those guys spending hours and hours and hours just working on penalties and corners and all that sort of stuff, it's just that repetition and consistency of habit. 
And, um, yeah, it's funny when you do look back and even if you're making a little bit of progress every day and you look back and you see, like you said, the crosses on the calendar and go, oh, my God, Mm. you know, a month has passed and look look at all this stuff that, that I've been able to do or achieve. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you need, as as a part of it, you sort of need some sort of record or, uh, and I you watched um, Give It Give It One Hundred. I think you you've also seen that. I was going to ask you about that, so I'm glad you've gotten onto it. Yes, please continue. <laughs> yeah, we, we've Give It One Hundred. That was like a a project by I think Karen X Cheng and. She posted up a video every day for a hundred days about her her goal to to dance, and in each video you could see right at the start she was you know really crap at dancing, and then by the the hundredth video you could see the improvement, and you could see those steps um, going through. So I was sort of inspired after seeing that. Then I, I started to apply some of her ideas to to my own learning. So I sort of decided to do you know, three projects um, connected to teaching over the course of a year, sort of like three 100-day projects. And on her website at the time, you then posted up uh, a video each day sort of showing what you were doing to reach your goals. So so for me, having that sort of video, that accountability of putting up a video each day really got me motivated and kept me you know, on track with my learning goals, like what, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, putting up that video was effectively like putting the X on the calendar for me. Yeah. And look, it was a, it was an excellent idea. And, and obviously, yeah, I, I was introduced to that idea because you did three different projects. Is that right? With that yeah. concept, even outside so did, of teaching language. Yeah, I did like Thai. So my own personal thing it was, my you know trying to improve my Thai because I'm living living in Thailand um and that's also part of I suppose what English Ride is is that I'm going through my own language learning journey and sort of like the strategies and ideas that I suggest I'm also sort of experimenting you know like a lab rat on myself before I bring them to to the market um and the other two was like ukulele and drawing because I suppose teaching with children I was trying to bring in more music and also drawing because I had really terrible stick figure drawings um, <laughs> so I decided to, to develop all those skills that sort of fed into my into my teaching so yeah but what I found Brilliant. out like you, you go through this I suppose what I call the absolute crap stage um, the first 20 hours and and you just have to smash through that because, I mean, in the past, like when I was younger, I, you know, I just didn't have that commitment. I'm like, oh, yeah, I wanted to learn the keyboard. I want to learn piano. And then, you know, I practice like two times and then I did, you know, this is terrible. I can't play it. So I give up. So it was quite empowering to then do this, finally have this realisation at the time, probably my late 30s, that, you know, if you put in the time and you – and the commitment you can you can pretty much learn anything really. It's just as a, it, having that habit of turning up each day and a bit of a system and, and a good teacher can help for sure as well. So yeah, get out that big pen, get a calendar, and start you know putting that cross in. Doesn't have to be a cross; can be smiley face tick if you want more sort of uh, positive imagery. But yeah, start doing emojis. it. Emojis. Build a habit today. <laughs> emojis. Draw a different emoji for each day. 
Fantastic. I think that's an excellent tip. Okay, so this segment is called Language Unmasked. Now, Damien, I noticed on your website, English Riot, that you use masks a lot, like pandas, gorillas, etc. So what do all these masks have to do with learning English? It sort of, I suppose, reflects my my own feelings about learning a language. I feel like when you when you speak in a second language, people don't actually see you for who you really are. So um, it's really hard to show your personality or show your skills or show your abilities. And it feels like you're at times wearing a mask. And sometimes I suppose you get into embarrassing situations and, and other things like that. And these masks sort of represent how people might see you as a sort of, you know, in a ridiculous kind of way. So the, the idea of the mask is that I want to help students and also help myself because it's about my own language learning journey, take off these masks and let, you know, people see them for who they really are, see their personality expressed properly in, in a second language. So you mentioned before um, embarrassing language situations. Could you tell yes. us your most embarrassing language learning story? Yeah, well, in um, Thailand, um, a long time ago, when I was first learning Thai, because some of my first teaching jobs are in Thailand, and I was teaching at uh, university, and, and then I'd have like you know my my lunch break, and after that, I would always order a banana shake, and then and I would order in Thai. So, but every time there was a I don't know there was a group of people and. Everyone seemed to smile or laugh. So I sort of got curious about, okay, I thought maybe, oh, they're just laughing at me because they think it's funny, you know, a guy trying to use use Thai. But then it, then it happened consistently and I started to think, oh, maybe I'm saying something wrong here. So I, I asked a Thai friend, okay, you know, the word in banana shake, are there any sort of similar words that, you know, similar pronounced words that might, you know, be misunderstood by the people I'm saying to. And then I found out there is a very, very similar word and the, there's a similar word, the similar word for banana in Thai is actually dick. So when I was ordering these shakes, I wasn't <laughs> asking for a banana shake, I was actually asking for a dick shake. Um, so, yeah, that that was the, the reason for the laughter I found out. Quite embarrassingly. <laughs> <laughs> After ordering wait, wait. this banana shake, um, yeah, which is which is quite interesting given the <laughs> the shape of a banana, but we won't go into that too much. Yeah, I mean, but I, I think it was just my butchering of the pronunciation, like instead of a a, a, um, a gut, gut sound, I was doing more of a cut, and then yeah, unfortunately, it meant it meant that. Um, and, I, and after that point, I then decided I would change my taste in in shakes and started to order more things like papaya and pineapple, which were uh, <laughs> safer. I have to say that I think uh, languages can be really cruel in that sense. I think they really try to mess with you. <laughs> People have come mm. up words, with words that are so similar but end up being inappropriate if you pronounce them the wrong way. Things yeah, like a little for, inside yeah, for, joke. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So before you gave a really great uh, study tip um, mm. for students to follow, I'm just wondering, do you follow that study tip? Do you practice what you preach? Uh, yeah, I definitely follow the yeah, the building a habit. In the past, no, I didn't. I was really, really poor with trying to build a habit with language study. Um, 
And also, I suppose another piece of advice I give students is to try and put themselves out there, you know, use the language. And I find myself here, I seem with my speaking, I'm sort of, yeah, going backwards a bit because I, I don't actually put myself out there and use it because of, you know, embarrassing situations like the banana shake incident and stuff like that. They can really damage your, you know, your confidence with with, with speaking a second, sure. you know, a second language. Okay, so aside from embarrassing situations that you've had trying to speak Thai, what would you say is your favourite word or expression that you've learnt? Um, with, I mean, with this radio, pro, with this podcast, I suppose I'm trying to expose students to, you know, swear words and slang and idiomatic language. So that's what I always look for in another language like Thai. Um, and in Australia, piss as a word is used a lot in a different, you know, a whole lot of different expressions. So oh, in yeah. Thai there's two quite good um, words for saying that you want to, you know, take a piss or go to the toilet. So and they have a, you know, one for for the males and one one for the boys. Oh, one for the for the girls, sorry. So for the for the guys it's like ying gratai, which is like called shooting the rabbits. So if you want to go to the <laughs> toilet, you say, I want to go out and shoot some rabbits. Well for females it's uh get Dork my, and, and that means to go out and pick the flowers. So <laughs> sometimes, if you if you go to the toilets in Thailand, I have seen like like the image for the, for a male toilet might be a rabbit, or for a female toilet it might be you know some some flowers and stuff like that. So it's sort of cool oh, with, with, with idiomatic expressions. You get these little cultural references that often tie in, which, which sort of makes them really interesting to learn from my perspective. That's very cool. Very cool indeed. So, yeah, do you need to go um, pick some flowers or shall we continue with the program? No, no, I'm okay. Um, uh, my flower picking is, is all up to date for now, so um, right. we can continue on. Right. <laughs> you don't need cool. to go shoot rabbits? You're all good? No, I'm good. I'll save it till the end of the show. <laughs> Right, so this next segment is called It's Raining Idioms and Swear Words. So what we do is we look in depth at a favourite expression or swear word of our guest. So, Damien, what's your favourite expression or swear word? The expression for me, I suppose, is linking up to what we talked about. I've always liked the imagery of having a monkey on your back. So I suppose with with me and my my problems with pronunciation. I suppose with Thai, it's a tonal language, so I've, I've always found that really difficult. And so over time, I think I've got this sort of monkey monkey on my back and it's sort of stopping me from reaching my, I don't know, language learning goals in Thai. To have a monkey on your back. Yeah, I've always sort of been into monkeys. I just have this idea of this big sort of hulking <laughs> monkey clamped onto your back. Um, it's good, but it's also, I think it's a good expression. I had a look at the history actually, and it, it actually originated with sort of drug addiction. So if oh, you wow. said you okay. had, a, mon- had no a, mon- a monkey on your back, maybe you were into some crack cocaine or I don't know what, what the drugs the kids are into, into today, but you, um, it meant if you told your parents, oh yeah, yeah, you got a monkey on my back. They would then, you know, take you to the drug detox centre, I suppose. So I haven't actually said to my parents I've got a monkey on my back because they, they might be worried 
um, about that. But for me, it's not about drugs. It's about language learning and <laughs> the problems I face. As I was saying before, often the expression leads into popular culture, like idiomatic language. And I remember I first heard the expression when I was listening to a, a song by Pulp. Yeah, I think the song was called Here Comes the Fear Again, but it had the line, this, this monkey's built a house on your back. So they even took the idiom one step further and talked about like a monkey, you know, you've got this big problem attached to your back and it's not only just attached to your back, it's decided to build a house and, you know, and live there. And that's what I feel with with my pronunciation in Thai that I've, I've not only got this monkey on my back but it's it's starting to build a mansion and it's got like a whole like <laughs> four-acre four property with a jacuzzi and a pool and it's really relaxed um, into the lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like, I like, uh, I like how you've expanded on the, the expression there. But does it have a uh, a lifetime supply of bananas by any chance? <laughs> bananas, yeah, yeah, I think so. That's probably one of the things that, yeah, the banana shaking center probably fed fed that that monkey on my back and allowed it to create such a you know a large home complex there. <laughs> um, and that's the thing with problems, you know, they get they they snow they get bigger and bigger if you don't yeah. do something to try and fix them. And so the, these monkeys on your back, you got to watch out. Once they move in, they're hard to you know evict and get out. I'm trying, I'm trying, you know, but but I still make you know pronunciation. I still have this Australian accent when I'm speaking Thai. Yeah, right. So this monkey, yeah. it's on my back, yeah. <laughs> So now we've come to the final segment of today's podcast, which is called The Red Room, and it does require some listener participation. So, Damien, do you want to explain this concept of The Red Room? Okay, sure. Amy, with The Red Room, it came from a program I was a big fan of in the, I think, in the 90s called Twin Peaks. Are you familiar with that? I am. I I never watched it, but I kind of knew the basic premise of the show, yeah. Okay. Well, in the show, the there was always this dream sequence which contained, uh, which included a red room with, with a dwarf in it and he would speak a language backwards. Um, so I thought I'd take this concept at the end and use it with language learning. So each guest will give a bonus um, swear word or idiomatic expression, but that expression will either be sped up, slowed down or said said backwards like in, in, in the red room from Twin Peaks. And then our audience or listeners need to try and work out what that expression is. And with our podcast, you can leave audio comments. So the first person to leave an audio comment up and gets the correct answer will then receive a, a special prize. So are you ready for the expression? I am ready. I'm very much ready. Hit us with it. So that is our expression. So if you think you know what it is, try and get your answer in before the next episode. Okay, so that brings us to the end of What the Beep Do You Know About Learning English? Thank you so much, Damien Herlihy, for sharing your knowledge, wisdom, and everything else in between. I hope you enjoyed our first episode. 
it's only going to get better from here. So please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave an audio comment because we respond to everyone. Also, head over to www.englishriot.com for bonus material, including how to use some of the English expressions from this podcast episode. Finally, make sure you sign up for English Riot's e-newsletter to get access to the free course English Rage. See you in episode two, where we interview... Oh, me. Me.